Daniel 4. Um, thank you, uh, Stoney, for preaching last week. Important passage for our hearts now and in the coming days. Daniel 4, um, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the King of the heavens. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. This is um, God's word. So for time purposes, I'm just going to summarize chapter 4 because it's a whole lot of, of uh, text. So uh, just like in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar um, has a dream. So verse uh, 1, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I was at ease in my house and, and uh, flourishing in my palace. Then verse 10, in the visions of my mind, I'm laying on my bed, there was a, a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall and, and strong, and its top reached to the sky, like the Tower of Babel. Okay? <laughs> Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit um, was abundant, wild animals found shelter under it. the birds of the sky lived in its branches, every creature was fed from it. So it's a pretty dream, and then it turns into a nightmare, verse 13, um, I saw a watcher, a holy one, Keith's not here, you can ask Keith about the watchers, um, a holy one coming down from heaven saying, cut down this pretty beautiful tree and chop off its branches. And then the watcher goes on to say, hey, just chop it down at the, at the root, don't destroy the tree completely, but let the ruler of this tree be made like a wild animal until he humbles himself um, before the Lord, and then the tree can grow again. Okay, chop down, humble yourself, you can grow again. Verse 17, this happened so that the living will know. This tree was chopped down, this ruler was made like a madman, so that the living who are hearing this story will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. This is the dream. So then, just like in chapter 2, Nebi's wise men can't interpret this thing, but Daniel can, right? Do you guys remember this? Chapter 2? Okay. So Daniel shows up and he says, hey, the tree is you and, and your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, and in mercy, okay, because God's kind, he's allowed uh, it, it to grow. But in its growth, you've become prideful and arrogant, and you've said things like, verse 30, um, you've said things like, is this not Babylon the Great that I have built? To be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory, right? Nebuchadnezzar's like, aren't I awesome? Aren't I wonderful? I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. Witty. And, you know, like, okay. Uh, and so Daniel says, because of your pride and because of your arrogance, King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 32, you will be driven away from the people to live like the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle. Did anyone have Kurt Kirtley in high school? Raise your hand if you had Kirk Curley, the wolf man, right? You guys have heard the wolf man story. Real. Lycanthropy. It's real, okay? <laughs> ask Kurt. If you see Kurt, say, Josh wanted me to ask you about the wolf man, and you will make his whole year. You will make his whole life. Okay, he will die a happy man if you ask him. Uh, about the wolf man. So you'll be driven away from the people to live with the wild animals. You'll feed on grass like cattle until... Nebuchadnezzar, until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and until you, verse 27, until you separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right, and separate yourself from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. 
Because that's an important thing for kings in the eyes of the Lord. So this is the story. Then the dream comes true. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't take Daniel's warning to heart. Um, God humbles him by turning him into an animal. And then it, it ends positively. Nebuchadnezzar does what God required of him. So verse 34, at the end of those days of my eating grass and whatever, I, I looked up to heaven and I praised the Most High, and I honored and I glorified him who lives forever. And then he launches into this awesome close for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at that time, verse 36, at that time, my sanity, my majesty, my splendor returned to me. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of the heavens. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. That's, that's Daniel 4. So what do we do with this? Okay, I'm going to say a lot of things today that a lot of you might disagree with, um, but we'll end at a point we can all agree with. Okay, maybe... You know, if not, you don't have to come here. You know, we can <laughs> go somewhere else. So uh, what, what do we do with, with Daniel 4? This is a story about a prideful king in ancient Babylon, but it applies to all prideful kings and kingdoms today. The message uh, f- from the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar is the same message to kings and kingdoms now. And that message is that the day of the Lord is coming. Okay. That's the message. That's what Daniel 4 is telling us. And the Lord uses uh, the tree and, and the growth imagery to send the message. Okay, In mercy, the Lord's saying, I have allowed you to grow and flourish. And you know, birds of the sky nest in your branches, wild animals uh, under your branches. But if you don't change your ways and if you don't repent, I will humble you. And if you still don't repent, even after that, at the day of the Lord, I will destroy you. This is the message. Wicked kings, wicked kingdoms in mercy are allowed to grow until the limit of their sin is reached and the limit of God's patience is reached. And God is incredibly patient. And so that's a terrifying thought that there's a limit to it. Okay, I know that's not like super popular to say, but if you read the prophets, you read the apostles, they're like, yeah, there's limits to these things when God will say enough. And this is what he has said. So this uh, theme kind of builds throughout the scripture. Genesis um, 15, the Lord has promised Abraham uh, the the, the land that's presently um, in turmoil right now. And and the Amorites are there. And Abraham's like, are we going to go in now? And says, no, you you can't go in yet. I'm not going to punish the Amorites and expel them from the land. Um, Genesis 15, until their sin reaches its full measure. Like God has a limit to this thing. And when it reaches its measure, it is poured out. When it reaches its height and it does not repent, that thing is chopped down. Psalm um, 1 and 2, uh, we prayed through. Was that this Thursday? Oh, Holly's teaching. We prayed through Psalm 1 and 2. Um, was that Thursday? It was awesome. Go home and read Psalm 1 and 2 and just sit there. 
It's awesome. So Psalm 1 and, 1 and 2, it, it just contrasts the blessed man, the blessed um, king who will walk in God's ways and will be like a tree that, that, that flourishes and, and gives life. But if the Gentile nations that oppose um, Israel's king continue to rage and continue to walk in pride and arrogance against the Lord and against his anointed, and they continue to use their positions of authority that come from God to gain wealth and power for themselves at the expense of those in their charge... We have no idea what that would be like, okay? Then the day of wrath will come for them, like a tree to an axe, and they and, and they like an axe to a tree, and they will be chopped down. That's Psalm one and two. Psalm thirty seven that Amanda read this morning, verse thirty five, he says, I have seen a wicked, violent person, well rooted, like what? Like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and I noticed that he was gone. I searched for him, he could not be found. And so in mercy, that wicked tree flourishing was allowed to grow, was allowed to flourish. But its end without repentance is what? Destruction. The psalmist walks by and said, where did it go? And so the day of the Lord happened. There it go. Ezekiel 31, the the tree growth language um, really, really picks up. And then we're going to look at this. Jesus takes this, takes this in Daniel 4. So Ezekiel 31, he says, son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is Pharaoh a good guy or a bad guy in the Bible story? You guys still haven't done your homework and watched Prince of Egypt. <laughs> okay? Pharaoh's a bad guy. He's a wicked Gentile king and kingdom. So say to Pharaoh, say to Egypt and, and the hordes, who are you like in your greatness? Right? Kind of mocking them. Think of Assyria. You're like Assyria, Egypt. Another wicked Gentile kingdom. Uh, Assyria, a cedar, a tree in Lebanon with beautiful branches. What happened to Assyria, Egypt? Let's look. Therefore, the cedar, the tree, became greater in height than all the trees of the field. Verse 6, all the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Ezekiel's prophesying before Daniel. Where do you think Daniel got this from? From Ezekiel. Beautiful birds of the sky nesting in its branches. And so what does the Lord say to kingdoms like Assyria, to Egypt and its hordes? Verse 10, since it towered high in stature... And instead, its height, its top among the clouds, Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel. Okay? Do you guys know the story of the Tower of Babel? I'm I'm assuming that. I'm sorry. Tower of Babel, (laughs) people get together and say, hey, we're going to build ourselves, be like God, be awesome. And what happens to the Tower of Babel? Kaboom. Destroyed. And this is why Gentiles exist. Here we are. Okay? Um, So, Tower of Babel, a wicked, prideful kingdom set against the Lord. It grew proud. Prideful, arrogant on account of its height. And so what does the Lord do with trees that grow in pride and arrogance and the birds of the sky nest in their branches? What does he do? Verse 12, I cut it down and I left it lying. I made the nations quake at the sound of its downfall when I threw it down to shale to the realm of the dead. Verse 18, this is Pharaoh and all of his hordes. Okay, you see the pattern God gives kings and kingdoms power in mercy. He allows them to grow, being patient, giving them time to repent. Okay, just like he's giving you time to repent. You have breath in your lungs today because he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance and come to the knowledge of the truth so that at the day of the Lord, they're raised to life everlasting, not to eternal destruction and condemnation. Right. The same way he treats kings and kingdoms, he treats you. And that's the end of my sermon. I I got to the end too quick. (laughs) 
He allows them to grow, giving them time to repent. But if kings and kingdoms do not repent, he chops them down and they're thrown into the fire. Matthew 3, Luke 3. Isaiah 2 that um, uh, Michelle read from, I'm going to finish it, verse 12 to 5 was great. Okay, but we need 12. Um, For a day belonging to the Lord, the day of the Lord of armies, is coming against who? Okay, at the day of the Lord, who's, who's in the crosshairs of the Lord? It's against all that is proud and lofty. And the birds of the sky rest in its branches. And the wild creatures find their place under against all that's proud and lofty, against all that's lifted up. Isaiah says it will be humbled. And then verse 13, here come the trees against all the cedars of Lebanon. Daniel 4, Ezekiel 31. Um, all the, the lofty and lifted up against all the oaks of Bashan, Daniel 4, Ezekiel 31. And what are these trees identified with? Verse 17. When you think tree, when you're reading it in the Bible, where do you go? Verse 17, the pride of mankind. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is and is embodying. This is what Babel embodied. The pride of mankind, the Lord says, on the day belonging to him, when he comes in angel, with angels and fire and... and All the stuff on that day, the pride of mankind will be brought low and human loftiness will be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. You know what I mean? The trees that have grown up in pride, Psalm 37, where'd they go? I looked for him. He could not be found. Like smoke, he vanished away. Psalm 2, like chaff that blows away with the wind, he is gone. And the Lord alone is exalted in that day. We should have sang that this morning. Why don't we sing that this morning? For you alone will be exalted in that day. Worthless goals will be exposed. The idols that we've made. So Isaiah 2 is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar comes to realize in Daniel 4, verse 37. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Okay? So you see the pattern? I'm going to ask you this several more times. Do you see the pattern? Okay? In mercy and kindness, God allows kingdoms to grow. But if they do not repent, if they don't take him up on his mercy, right? The mercy of God is not for nothing. And there's a purpose to it that you would turn and repent like Nebuchadnezzar did. And if they don't, they're going to fill up the measure of their sin, right? They're going to reach the top to where eventually God says, no, I can't do this anymore. You've got to be cut, cut down and then God will cut them down. Okay. If you read the email this week, I was super proud of it. I called it our lumberjack lord. I thought that was great. It really was great, Josh. Yeah, I know. I know. So we've got trees growing and being chopped down in their pride. Jesus follows the same pattern, and Jesus uses Daniel chapter 4 to do so, okay? So when Jesus is, is telling parables... All of the parables, every single parable, okay? Open up your Bible, read every single parable. All of them are about the day of the Lord, the end of the age, the judgment. And they're aimed at the wicked, okay? Jesus doesn't tell parables so that the righteous are like, I've never known or heard this stuff before. He's telling parables to them, to those outside, to those who, you know, a chapter before have tried to kill him. Said, hey, him and John... And then Jesus tells parables to convict them of their unrighteousness so that they will repent before the day of the Lord. Okay, so he tells a parable and then interprets it in so many words saying this is about the day of the Lord. Okay, all right. So Matthew 13, 
He tells a parable. I have an image here, actually, I think. He tells a parable, yeah, about wheat and weeds. Have you guys heard this story? Okay, wheat, weeds, allowed to grow. And then what happens to the weeds? They're gathered up and thrown into fire, okay? It's, it's yeah, a real positive, awesome story. So wheat and weeds, and then he, so he tells it, and then he interprets it. So he says, the wheat, this is the righteous who will inherit the kingdom. Good. The weeds, this is the unrighteous who will not. The harvest, Jesus says, that's the end of the age. Well, Jesus, who are the harvest? He goes, those are angels. I go, okay. We're like, whoa, Jews in the first century are like, yeah, angels, sure. Absolutely. Um, the barn that the righteous go into, that's the kingdom. Outside of the barn, that's, that's Gehenna, hell, the lake of fire. So he tells a parable, and then he interprets the parable. And so sandwiched in between the telling of this parable about wheat and weeds and the interpretation of this parable about wheat and weeds is another parable that's not interpreted. Okay? And that should be odd, right? Because he always tells it and then interprets it. He just tells this one with no interpretation. So I have an um, image there that might be helpful to you. Okay, and so it's a parable of a mustard seed that grows into a tree and leaven that fills the whole lump of flour. So I think this means, since this one is sandwiched and not interpreted, I think we should interpret it according to the context of the interpreted parable it's sandwiched in between. Does that make sense? Okay, no interpretation, interpretation. Let's interpret this in light of this. So Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, okay, the way the kingdom will come, the way things are going to be administered. It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seed, but when it's grown, and then Jesus quotes Daniel 4, and he quotes Ezekiel 31. He says the exact same thing that they said. When it's grown, it's taller than the garden plants, and it becomes like a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in his branches, Okay. Now, if you just read that parable by itself out of the context of the wheat and weeds that it's sandwiched in between, you'd probably read it positively. Like Jesus is introducing a new spiritual kingdom that's slowly growing and filling the earth. Okay? And if you read it that way, you're fine. Okay? 2,000 years of, of church history has interpreted that parable that way. So if you got it that way, it's fine. I'm the weird one. Okay? So I don't, I don't want you leaving here like, Josh thinks I'm dumb. No, you're probably right. I'm, I'm weird, okay? <laughs> so we can put the slide back up. If you read, uh, if, again, if you read the uninterpreted parable, leaven, mustard seed, in the context of the interpreted parable that's about weeds that are in mercy, allowed to grow until the end of the age and then gathered by angels and thrown into fire without repentance, okay? And if you've just read Daniel 4 and Ezekiel 31, which we have, which are about what? Wicked kingdoms being allowed to grow, but without repentance in their pride, they get chopped down and they're directly quoted in Matthew 13. You might read it like I read it. And you might read that parable to mean that in mercy, in mercy, God allows wicked kingdoms to grow taller than the garden plants so that the birds of the sky can come and nest in its branches. But if they do not repent... If they do not turn, they will be chopped down and thrown into hell at the end of the age. Okay? I think Jesus is just following the same pattern. But regardless of if you agree with me on Matthew 13, which again, 2,000 years of the church doesn't. Okay? I, I, I'm weird. Okay? Daniel 4 is clear, right? If Matthew 13 is like, I don't know. Daniel 4 is clear. This wicked Gentile kingdom is allowed to grow and, and pride and it doesn't repent and God... Chops it down. So our message uh, uh, 
of Daniel 4 is clear. Wicked kings and wicked kingdoms must repent before the judgment comes. Okay? Everyone got that? Easy, clear. From Daniel 4 then, we're given, as as disciples of Jesus, as the church, we're given our message to prideful kings and kingdoms, okay? So if you're wondering, like, what should I say? What should my posture be towards the Bidens and Putins and Zelenskys and the Erodigans? And you fill in the blank, right? Take Take your pick, pick your horse. These wicked rulers who walk in pride, who rage against God, who rage against God's law, who rage against God's anointed. Our message to them is that God is being merciful towards you. Do you understand that? You're breathing because God loves you. You're still alive because God loves you and God is patient towards you. And God will humble you because he wants you to repent. This is what God did with Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, and so I think and again, guys, I'm 32 and don't know anything. I know zero. I'm about to bring a kid into the world like, what do I do with this thing? I don't know. I don't know anything. So you can disagree with me on this. But I think this season of history, okay, where God is allowing the whole world to see how not just wicked our nations are. Okay, I'm not picking on a particular one. All of them are wicked and how embarrassing our nations are. You know what a huge point in adulthood is? Like you find out like maybe I'm an adult now is when you realize that people just because people have a title doesn't mean they know what they're doing. Amen. You know what I mean? Amen. Like you go to Lowe's and you're like, hey, can you help me with? And they're like, I can't. Well, you have a thing that says you can. I can't. And I say this as a pastor, right? Like, Josh, you're a pastor. You probably know. I don't. They just put me in an office one day and said, go for it. Okay? (laughs) So I'm saying that the kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth, like, they have the title expert in whatever. And then you hear them talk and see what they do. And you're like, oh, you don't know what you're doing either. Right? So I think it's a kindness that God's allowing us to, to see this. Uh, in this way, it's a kindness meant to, like Nebuchadnezzar's madness, it's meant to bring us to repentance. Okay? And, and what does repentance look like for the kings of the earth? I'm glad you asked. Daniel 4, verse 27. Here's what it looks like. Therefore, Daniel says to this king who's not humbling himself, Therefore, my advice may seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right. And from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Right? Kings and kingdoms of the earth. One, wake up from your delusion and pride. All of y'all. Okay? You, you are not sovereign. You are not the high. <laughs> you are not the king of kings. Repent of your sins. And so to our nation, we and not just ours, we're just kind of leading the way in these things, whether that's the championing of sexual insanity. That's the only way to describe it, sexual insanity, where our so-called Catholic president, who, who Catholics have a fantastic theology of the body, okay? Like if, if you read Catholic theologians, how they think about the body and life, it, is ju- it, it puts Protestants to shame, They do a very good job on this. Our so-called Catholic president can sit across from a mentally ill, likely demonized young man who has mutilated his body in irreversible ways to look like a woman, but not really, and say, this is great. 
We need more of this, not less. This needs promoted and celebrated. Daniel says to him, we say to him, separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and showing mercy to the needy. Not, not keeping them going in their delusion. Or whether it's a championing of infanticide, right? Abortion at nine months. And if the baby survives the abortion, doctors are not required to care for it. Repent of your sins. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right. Or the punishment of those who would stand in their way. Right? We, we have... We have I know every evangelical is pro-life, whatever. We have people who are actually doing the work, giving themselves to, to standing in the way of, of this barbaric practice happening. And they're looking at 11 years of prison and $350,000 in fines from our government. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and showing mercy to the needy, right? Or the big one, right? That left and right have shared forever. No one is immune from this. Whether that's using your position of governmental authority to gain power and wealth at the expense of those in your charge. It's absolutely wicked. Amen. Absolutely wicked. At the expense of the poor and the needy. Whatever this, you know, we could just keep going. Whatever the sin is, the message from Daniel to the kings and the kingdoms of the earth is still the same as it was in Daniel 4. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy, to the poor of the earth. This is what Daniel is saying, and this is what we are saying. And if the kings of the earth do not take God up on his mercy and repent, they will be chopped down. And if they do repent, they will inherit eternal life. That needs to be our heart posture towards kings and kingdoms. It's not that, oh, you know, judgment, wrath, all this stuff. Like, hey, if you'll repent, you'll inherit eternal life. Like, I want to sit at the feast, drinking wine, eating meat with these wicked kings and kingdoms because in God's mercy, they've turned from their sins and repented. You know what I mean? That's got to be the heart posture. Not that I just hate you and hate you and hate you and hate you, but I love, I, I, I want you there. I want you in the age to come. And so this is our, this is our message, okay? We are, have to be Daniels and we have to be John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist goes to Herod and says, hey, this is not okay. And it costs John his head. Will you preach that message? Will you say that message, okay? And I know, um, not today, I guess. <laughs> I know I can get amens preaching that, right? I, uh, I know railing against politicians, like that's a universal, makes us feel good about ourselves, right? So if you're having self-esteem issues, just turn on the news. You're like, I'm actually doing okay. okay. It's easy. It's very easy. It's, it's not hard at all to rail against prideful crooks in Washington. It is much harder to look in the mirror. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar is always someone else. Nebuchadnezzar is never me. They're always prideful and arrogant. Never me. They're always going their own way and their sins. Never me. Guys, you know what might actually trigger a revival in America is if, if evangelicals looked in the mirror rather than pointing the finger the whole time. Okay? This is the conundrum of Psalm 139, which is the pro-life movement's you know, favorite verse. You knitted me in my mother's womb, all this stuff. So listen to how David talks about this. 
mirror looking thing. Verse 21, he says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Those loathing you, I have abhorred. I hate them with a perfect hate. I count them as my enemies, right? And we're reading this. We're like, yeah, those guys, the kings of the earth, right? And, and I do what David is absolutely right in feeling these things. David is absolutely right in saying these things. David is absolutely right in, in singing these things, okay? I'm not, and you should not be, embarrassed at the imprecatory psalms. You, you shouldn't be embarrassed at these things. It is right to hate what God hates. And it's right to say it. But not without taking stock of ourselves. Which David does to close this psalm, right? He says, yes, I hate them with perfect hatred. They are arrogant towards you. They are harmful towards my neighbor. But, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me, lead me, Lord, if I should stray away the everlasting way. So for those with ears to hear today, understand that God treats wicked individuals, prideful individuals, arrogant individuals the same way he treats wicked kings and kingdoms. In mercy and kindness, he'll allow them to grow and to flourish. But if they don't humble themselves... If they, if they continue on in, in pride and do not repent, then the Lord will allow their sin to grow to its full measure. And at the day of the Lord, he will cut them down. This is going. This is the, the story for every wicked king and kingdom. And this is the story for every wicked individual who walks in pride, right? It's to the church, not crooks in Washington, that the letters in Revelation are written, right? Did you guys finish those? You got, you got, you got through those? Those aren't written to uh, Uncle Joe, are they? Right? No, they're written to the church, to churches. Revelation three seventeen is written, again, not to Washington, but to, I mean, to this church, but to you, right? It's written to you, Revelation three seventeen. You say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I need nothing. Like Nebuchadnezzar, I was at ease and flourishing in my palace, looking over my awesome kingdom that I have built. Okay? And you don't realize, Revelation, you don't realize You're blind. You're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, just like Nebuchadnezzar. And so the message to the church, the message to you and to me, is the same as it was to Nebuchadnezzar. Be zealous and repent. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and showing mercy to the needy. Romans 2. Paul's right. Who's he writing to? Washington? Nope. Believers, disciples of Jesus, and he says to them, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Are you that deluded? Okay, like your pride and your arrogance is somehow different. And God's going to treat it differently than he treats the pride and arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar's and wicked kings and kingdoms. Do you really think that? Right, you kind of get that tone in Paul's writing. is like, are you the dumbest people I've ever met? I, would, I don't write that way to you guys. Paul writing to, to them. Guys, that's blindness and it's delusion. It's delusion to look at the sins of someone else and not hold up a mirror to yourself and say, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way because I know I am bent and, 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 and can go the same way as them like that. Do you think you will escape God's judgment because of your hardened and your unrepentant heart? You are storing up wrath for it, storing it up, right? Allowing it to 
grow, storing it up, uh, wrath for yourself. So God's allowing it to grow. He's giving you time to repent. But if you do not, wrath will be administered when? In the day of wrath, when on that day, God's righteous judgment, it's revealed, right? Because we don't see God's judgments in the earth as it should be, right? Otherwise, yesterday doesn't happen. You know what I mean? On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment is revealed for those who have allowed their sin to reach its full limit. And on that day, the Lord will come and chop it down. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Isaiah 2. So to close today, kings and kingdoms, individuals, churches, okay, those who name the name of Jesus, God is merciful and God is patient. If you don't know anything about God, please know that today. You hearing these words today is evidence of that. Okay? Guys, there's, there's over a hundred adults in one room in America in 2023 on a weekend listening to this. That's just mercy. Just kindness that someone told your parents who told their parents who told their parents if you're that wasn't your story. Someone told you. It's just mercy. It's just kindness. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me anything. It's just mercy. And in mercy, he's allowed us to live, to give us time to humble ourselves and repent. In patience, he's allowed the wicked kings and kingdoms of the earth to flourish, giving them times to humble themselves and repent. That's how you have to think about what, what what's always going on in the world. It's like, God, why don't you... Judge them now. And God's answer is, I actually love them. Okay? God actually loves the Hamas terrorists today. He actually died on a cross for them. Because he does not want them to perish. But to have eternal life. Like, that's a tough pill to swallow. But it should be less tough the more you think about your own heart and your own sin. Like, oh yeah, I'm actually, I was born here, not there. Maybe that's why I'm not mutilating little kids today and I'm in a church service. It's mercy and it's kindness. But if you will not repent, and if wicked kings and kingdoms will not repent, 1 Thessalonians 2. Their sins are always piling up. The weeds, the trees, always growing until when? It reaches the point when God no longer restrains his judgment. When that watcher appears and says, that tree, come down. And his wrath will surely come against them in full strength. This is the story Daniel 4 is telling. A tree is allowed to grow in God's kindness and in God's mercy. But if it does not repent, if it does not separate itself from its sins by doing what is right. And by showing mercy to the needy and the poor of the earth, it will be chopped down. And this is how we have to respond. Okay, it's not enough to know Daniel for you have to respond to it by doing what he did, separating yourself from your sins and showing mercy to the needy and the poor of the earth. Okay? And the way we separate ourselves from our sins is by first putting our trust in Jesus' cross for
for the forgiveness of our sins. And saying, God, I have gone the way of sin. I have been on a path that leads to death, that has harmed me, that has been in arrogance towards you, that has harmed my neighbor. And I'm turning from these things today, putting my trust in the cross for the forgiveness of sins, regardless of how long I've been on this path that leads to death, right? Like, praise God when little kids turn to the Lord early. Praise God. That's not everyone's story. So if you're here and you're 40, 50, 60, 80, you know, and you're just now turning to the Lord, praise God. Eternal life is yours. Forgiveness of sins is yours. Like that. Trusting, turning, turning to him. This is what we have to do. And then we get together with other believers and we lock arms. And we say, I'm going to stay on the path that leads to life. I'm going to walk in humility towards God. I'm going to walk in repentance towards God. I'm going to walk in love towards God and love for my neighbor. I'm going to separate myself from my sins by doing what is right. And I'm going to show mercy to the needy and the poor of the earth. And you will inherit eternal life. And when the Lord returns on that day, your tree is not chopped down. But you'll live forever. Let's pray. Robert, would you come help us, please? Thank you, sir. Father, we uh, we need help. Uh, Almighty God, we confess our sins, things we have done, things we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. This book of common prayer, isn't it? Almighty God, we confess our sins. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. So the prayer keeps going. And then he says, so have mercy on on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us for our sins. Have mercy on us uh, for our pride and our arrogance. God, in our our heart that swells up and, and thinks that uh, the good that we have is is from our own doing. And we pray and, and think like, like the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we say, God, thank you that I'm not like other people, right? I'm not like that guy. Help us be the other guy who beat his breast and said, have, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. And so that Jesus would say of us, one man of those two went home justified. And it's not the one who said... Thank God, I'm not like that guy. It's the one who said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as that that prayer goes on, we haven't loved you with our whole heart. Uh, Traditionally, the, the congregation would turn then to each other and speak the words of God to each other and say, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sin from you. So we start there, God, in mercy, recognizing we're all uh, uh, bent, turned towards wickedness. And it's only by your mercy and your kindness towards us that you've allowed us to turn and go the other way and go on the path that leads to life. And put our trust in the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It's only by mercy and it's only by grace. So we, God... Judgment begins at the house of God. Start here. Start in our hearts. Give us a mirror to look in, to wake up tomorrow morning. To 
pray with Jesus. God, let me get this plank out of my own eye before I get the speck out of someone else's. Would God would our church our con we can't we can't change the world. We can do stuff here in Tonkawa in this room. Help us be marked by humility before God and repentance before God. As individuals in our homes, God in our church, would, would this would we be a humble people? Not walk like Nebuchadnezzar did. So make that Bury that in our heart first. And then, God, as we go into the world and we speak to the kings of the earth, give us the same message of John the Baptist. Give us the same message of Daniel. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right. And separate yourself from your injustice by showing mercy to the needy. And perhaps God will grant you prosperity. God, we trust you uh, with our congregation for the next five minutes and the next five million years. We trust you um, with our state and, and our nation. God, in all the nations of the earth, we trust you with them. Okay? You are sovereign over history. You're sovereign over kings and kingdoms. You're leading history towards a good end, the restoration of all things, the resurrection of the dead, and the judgment of the wicked. So we trust you. Help us be faithful sojourners now. Help us be faithful in staying on the path now unto eternal life. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Amen. Um, So our elders are going to be at the front of the room now for prayer, uh, whether that's in response to the message or just anything else that you want us to pray with you. Uh, They'll be up here so you guys go ahead and, and come up. If you're not praying with an elder... Um, pray with pray with your family. Um, ask the Lord. Um, it, someone else I need to pray for today. Like uh, uh, maybe an encouraging word for someone to pray. But go and do that. So just for the next couple moments here, we're just having a prayer meeting. And the only way you have a bad prayer meeting is if you don't pray. Okay. Bad music doesn't make a prayer meeting bad. You know, uh, uh, long awkward prayers doesn't make a prayer meeting bad. The only thing that makes a prayer meeting bad is not praying. And we're all just like, why are we here? So let's have a prayer meeting now and and pray. We have a lot we have a lot to consider today.